Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing this morning? You made it in the room. Can we give it up to the ushers again at this service for fitting you all in here? If you had difficulty finding a seat, thank you for your patience. I did notice uh, four seats in the front in the spit zone opened up if you would like to come and join us uh, down front. We have looked at like blowing out a wall back there, but it just is going to be too much effort for what it would actually give us. So thank you for your prayers as we try and figure out long-term capacity to reach more people for Christ. But if you're new here, we want to welcome you. We say it every week, nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So if you thought, man, walking through the doors of a church building, your hair was going to light on fire, you have come to the right place. And our desire and hope this morning is just you encounter the love of Christ and the people that you interact with and what we share with you. But that said, I'm excited to continue our four-week teaching series called The Afterlife. Little recap, if you've missed some of it. Week one, we talked about what happens when you die. Week two, didn't Pastor Nate do a phenomenal job teaching on a hard subject of hell? <laughs> and, you know, he, he said that after getting assigned to teach on hell that his next sermon should be on, like, Disney and unicorns. But how many of you think he should teach on all the hard subjects from now on? It just, yeah, really glad that Nate has come to the church. Um, but if you're new here this morning, what we're going to do now is move on to the topic of heaven. Just as difficult, just as difficult. Uh, not really, but I can't wait to share. I'm very passionate about the subject of heaven. In fact, I keep forgetting to share this. If at the end of this morning, you would like a really dry 30-page academic paper that I wrote many years ago on this subject... Email us info at mercyroad.cc, and I'll give you a whole bunch of biblical and theological content. But what we want to do this morning is to talk about if heaven is real, what do you think heaven's actually going to be like? I imagine for some of you, you have like some general conceptions of it. Maybe some of you think you're going to be like floating around with wings in the clouds and a harp's going to be playing. I don't know where we got that version from, but it doesn't say that in the Bible. What do you think heaven is really going to be like? Will there be food in heaven? Do you, here's the real question. Will there be in and out burger in heaven? The answer is yes, in case you're wondering that. Now, somebody asked me if, uh, if there was going to be five guys in heaven. Maybe five guys fans out there. I think you were thinking of the other place that's not going to be in heaven. Have you never had in and out burger before? Maybe that's the problem. It is amazing, amazing. And so I, maybe that's my version of heaven. What, is you, what do you think heaven is going to be like? We could talk about what we think, but the reality is what Scripture teaches is what really matters. So we want to look at that together. Turn in your Bibles, the power of the one on the book rack, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, if you've been here at Mercy Road, I've taught on this passage several times. We're using this as a launching pad this morning to remind us. So I'm going to move quickly through it as we talk about what we think heaven will actually be like. See, the apostle John got a vision, an image of what heaven actually looked like. In verse one, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We're gonna break all of this down, but if you're like a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to talk about that when we die, I believe that, as I said in the first week, that your spirit goes to be with Jesus. He tells the thief on the cross, today 
you'll be with me in paradise. I also believe that one day Jesus will return and put the world right in the second coming. And it says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, not just in Revelation, but in multiple passages. And I'm gonna talk about what that means, that this is a real place that we're gonna experience. I also believe now that heaven is the place where God resides with his angels and only those who have confessed Jesus as Lord because of his crucifixion and his resurrection can be in the presence of a perfect God. And when you die, your spirit goes to be with him in heaven. But when Jesus returns, the new heaven and the new earth finally come together as original creation intended it to be. Okay, moving on though, verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. That there is a lot to look forward to in heaven and that it is a real place that we're going to reside with God. Verse five, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. Reminiscent of Jesus' final words on the cross, it is finished to telestai. It's done once and for all, for all time. And now you get to live with God in paradise. It goes on and it says in verse six, he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death that Nate taught on last weekend. If some of you are like, "Um, I saw me on a couple of things in that list. (laughs) I wanna encourage you today that what we're going to discuss, no one is good enough to be in the presence of a perfect God and it's only through the crucifixion or resurrection of Jesus that anybody gets there. And so it's in humility that whether we receive that or not. And that's what I wanna get into today because if we believe that heaven is real, Today, our lives would look a lot different. If we really believe that heaven is a real place that we're going to get to spend with God, it would transform the way that we live now. Amen. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, uh, all these people came out on a Sunday morning to worship you and study your word. In American culture, we don't do that much anymore. And so I just want to pause and celebrate that all these people took the effort to come here to find a seat. We're going to have a lot of baptisms at this service of declaring new life in you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, as we come together, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. Pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. Take away my words and help us to hear what you desire to hear through us, through scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, I got up this morning and I double-checked the app that it was going to be like in the 40s today. Who is tired of this weather? (laughs) How many of you are looking forward to summer, man? Come on, students. Summer break is coming. It's going to be warm and sunny. I'm going to get some sunshine. My family is due for a family vacation. Go someplace warm, poolside a little bit. How many of you have ever planned a spring break or summer break or fall break vacation 
only to spend a lot of money and get to that place, and it rained all week and was 50 degrees. Anybody out there? I'm convinced that some of us live in expectation of heaven as if we're not sure it's really going to be all that great. (laughs) I'm going to live my life for something, and then I'm going to die, and it may or may not go there, and if I go there, it's probably not that great anyway. I'm going to end this morning talking about, I believe that the concept, the, the theology of heaven is actually under attack. And I want us to live with expectation of the paradise with God to come. So I ask you that question, what will heaven be like? Super simple sermon this morning, just a straight Bible study. I believe that you guys are intelligent human beings that I don't have to entertain you for 35 minutes in order for you to experience the word of God. But at the same time, I'm going to answer a whole lot of questions that maybe you have about heaven. And our goal this morning is to simply teach what scripture says. So number one, two simple points. What will heaven be like? Number one, it will be real. It will be real. Like, okay, what does that mean? I believe that it will probably be more real because we will have full experience of all of our senses. It will be more real than what we're even experienced or could understand now. So let's talk about what's to come. I mentioned the new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first seven of the first earth that passed away and there was no longer any sea. This isn't the only passage that in the Bible that talks about a new heaven and a new earth. We go to heaven upon death if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but one day Jesus returns and heaven where God resides finally comes back to earth just as it was intended in the Garden of Eden when God walked with Adam there that he's going to to be there. In this new heaven and new earth, it will be a physical creation that you won't just be floating around somewhere. You're gonna be living in perfect paradise with God. It it says in Isaiah 65, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, it says in verse 17, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not even be remembered, nor will they come to mind. It will be so real for all of eternity with perfect relationship with God and other people. But not just with God and other people, but creation itself. Second Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Everything will finally be right. Who's looking forward to that? No more tears or death, no more sickness, but also no more broken relationships with each other. If heaven is real, every ethnicity... Every every socioeconomic background, even different political perspectives will all be there in heaven and we'll be getting along with each other. I would argue we can't even understand heaven because we don't even have one perfect relationship in our entire life. Is there one human being in your entire life that you've ever gotten along with perfectly every single moment of your day? And yet when we get to heaven, we're going to have that type of relationship with God and with each other and with, get this, creation itself. So if we're asking questions about what heaven will be like, do you think there's going to be animals in heaven? Any animal lovers out there? I encourage you, yes, there will be animals in heaven. Uh, Eternally, when Jesus returns, look what it says in Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and they get this, and a little child will lead them. You're not just going to have right relationship with God and other humans. You're going to have right relationship with creation and animal kingdom itself. You're going to be like Ace Ventura, pet detective. Oh, right. Remember that in the show? Am I dating myself? 
Animals going to flock to you wherever you go. I don't know if it's going to be like that, but you're, you're not going to have broken relationship with the creation anymore. Look, look what it says next in the next verse, verse 7. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down with, together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. I guess snake's got to be there. I could have known without that. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Because the knowledge of the Lord, his shalom, is present with this, we have peace, right relationship with everything. Isn't that incredible? We, we can't really comprehend that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the world is not as it should be. Let me give you a little recap in the creation. God walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. Right relationship with God. In his created order, there was only one thing that was very good. That was the pinnacle of his creation. Everything else just good, but humankind, very good. And yet humankind rebelled against God, broke relationship with him and with others. There has been pain, suffering, and death ever since. But God didn't give up on his creation. He he pursued them through the people of Israel. And the Israelites, like every other human being, eventually rebelled against God as well. And so he sent the prophets, listen up. But we still didn't listen. And so then he sent his only son, Emmanuel, God with us, to redeem and atone in a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin and wrongdoing. So whoever confess Jesus as Lord with their life will have all of their wrongdoing and sin forgiven and could become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen. So you have a lot to live for now because we have to look forward to heaven and the only time we have now to live for something that's gonna last eternally is in this moment, the short life we've been given, which is a little dot on a long line of eternity. The good news is that, that God's creation is groaning out to tell us that this isn't how it's supposed to be. There's better things to come. Look at Romans 8 says, the apostle Paul writes this to the church in Rome. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That will no longer be death in the created order and we will have right relationships. In verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. If we had more time to discuss biblical prophecy, there are many things that talk about that Jesus is getting closer to returning. And we don't know if that's gonna be tomorrow or a thousand years or you know, 10,000 years. We have no idea when Jesus will return, but we do know every day we're closer. And the Bible teaches us that there are natural disasters will increase, that the, the, the pains of, of childbirth, so to speak, for creation itself will be groaning out and calling that God needs to return as our world slowly decays. I want to encourage you that the earth that we will live in eternally with heaven at hand will be a new heaven, a new earth that will be tangible and it will be more real than this one itself. Now look, when we're looking to what uh, heaven will be like, it has to have biblical precedent. It has to be based off of scripture because that's God's word for us today. But do you know the most watched sermon we've ever had in the history of our church? About five years ago, we had a friend and author named John Burke who wrote a book called Imagine Heaven, Come and Speak. It's still available online. And I was a little nervous about it because he researched about 300 near-death experiences of what heaven might actually be like. And then here was the key part, because a lot of those probably aren't true. He compared it 
to what scripture actually does and does not say. And the goal of it was to give people an actual image to think about if heaven is a real place, what's it going to be like? And so I would encourage you this morning, if you're having difficulty believing that heaven is a real tangible place, you need to read scripture, maybe be inspired by a book out there like that one, because I'm telling you right now, we got to step letting the culture dictate that we don't have a whole lot to look forward to. Because if you know Christ, heaven is a real place. And we're going to be in paradise with God, others, and uh, the created order itself. Another question about if heaven is real and we're really going to be there tangibly, what are our bodies going to be like? Will our body, what will our bodies be like in heaven? Now I want to show you just a couple of passages that talk about our bodies. First of all, Philippians chapter three, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then check this out who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. When Jesus resurrected from the grave and presented himself to the disciples, he had a real body that represented what he had experienced and gone through, but he was also somewhat changed. I believe that when you die, Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I'll tell you, theologians debate some of the things I'm about to share. So I'm giving you a viewpoint but that I believe that when you die, you are given your spiritual body in heaven in the other place where only God and his angels and those who have surrendered their life to Jesus go. But one day when Jesus returns and there's a new heaven, a new earth, and heaven and earth come together, then you are given your physical resurrected body for all of eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 41 that talks about these things. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? This is the question we're asking, right? Like, what kind of body are you going to have in heaven? Here's what it says. How foolish (laughs) that we're fools for asking that question because it says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. And it uses this a farming analogy that's lost on us because we don't really, you know, farm most of us today. But it's saying that what you sow on earth, there will be representation of that. In heaven, just like Jesus, you could still see the scars. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. As Christians, we don't believe in reincarnation like other religious beliefs would say because you don't come back as a bird or a a dog or a bug or something. You have a soul and you come back as a human being. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one splendor and the moon another and the stars another and the star differs from the star in splendor. That we are given our our spiritual glorious body when we get to heaven and that when Jesus returns and the great resurrection occurs, we are given our perfect physical body that no longer has pain or suffering and is perfected And so if you're like, well, what will that be like? What will we look like? I've got actually Pastor Eric Maitland. We did a rendition of what Eric will look like in heaven. We want you to see this. You can show that's Eric in heaven right there. (laughs) So wrong, isn't it? On like so many levels. We just scarred all of you. Can you take that down? Thank you. Um, I'm pretty sure that was the rock's body, right? Like, okay. 
and uh, we, we won't be vain and concerned about those sorts of things. We won't be you know, caring whether or not something is physically attractive in the same way. What we will care about is everything's gonna work. We're gonna be totally happy and excited about our bodies and everybody else is gonna be excited about it and everybody's gonna be good with each other and with God and with creation itself. You will have a physical resurrected body. You will live in tangible paradise with God. So I answer, what will our bodies be like in heaven? But then let's get to the next question because I brought up some physical bodies and for the sensitivity of all ages in the room, I'm gonna talk about something with trying not to talk about it. You ready? Will people be married or have physical intimacy in heaven? That's another question that we get a lot. I don't know why that's a popular question. If heaven is real, are we gonna have romance and that sort of thing in heaven? Matthew 22, verse 30 says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Some of you are like, oh, that doesn't sound that exciting now. Uh, <laughs> or I don't know, Lisa may be like, oh, finally. <laughs> I think I'm doing good as a husband, so I hope she doesn't think that. But I, I'll tell you that in, in a marriage relationship and a covenant of marriage is only where physical intimacy is meant for. So you ready for this next part? I believe that eternally in heaven, not only will there not be marriage, there will be no physical intimacy in heaven. We're gonna have prayer counselors in the room right after the service, <laughs> if anybody needs to pray and talk. No, I think we have overhyped in a hypersexualized culture something that was meant for procreation and pleasure. Yes, we've made it like such a main emphasis. And I wanna talk about, like, you don't understand what heaven is really gonna be like. Every longing is going to be fulfilled. That feeling of belonging, completely there. You're going to be able to, to see God face to face, as we'll look at here in a second. You're going to have perfect relationships with every human being. How many of you in the room who are married, don't raise your hand, but have ever had a day where you got in an argument or things weren't perfect with your spouse? Every single one of us. In heaven, that literally will never occur. We can't even fathom or under, we have no perfect reconciling relationships with any human being this side of heaven. So I would argue we can't even understand what it's going to be like. If heaven is true, every ethnicity, socioeconomic status, different backgrounds will all come together and worship God and get along perfectly with one another. Completely reconciled. There'll be no more fighting, war, Anger, animosity, vitriol, like none of it will occur. Number two, if you're taking notes, it won't just be real, it will be perfect. And we can't understand perfect. Only God is perfect. So let's break that down for just a second. If, if eternity with God is going to be perfect, number one, God will dwell with us, so there's gonna be no more pain. Remember the verses we started with in Revelation 21, three to four? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When God is at the center of his creation, there is no more pain and suffering. It will be perfect. And that history I gave you of the Bible, the, the lineage, the timeline of all the ways God's been pursuing us, he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you until the very end. In fact, 
Jesus gave an analogy, a story to represent God's pursuit of you. He uses the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The, the prodigal son wasted his whole life, returns home, and the father, rather than being angry, runs indignantly out to wrap his loving arms around his son, get the fattened calf, we're having a party tonight because my son was lost and now he's found. If you're here today and you fall short of being perfect, we have this idea that if, if I'm good enough, if I attend church enough, if I go to enough services like this, then when I die, if I was better than most people, I'm probably getting in. And I just want to challenge and encourage you. The good news is you don't have to live like that. You can know whether or not. The Bible says what, that, that understanding of heaven and the afterlife is completely false. No one is good enough. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only way we get in, Romans 6.23, if we can confess Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, if we believe and receive salvation, we could actually experience the new life of Christ that literally, as it is in heaven one day, so it could be on earth. Look, if you've missed the story of the Bible, Jesus' main message, what was his main message? Repent for the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it is in heaven, now it could be on earth. That we could actually experience that type of reconciling with one another of every demographic and background coming together. And I would argue anytime you see that, it's often because the spirit of God is on the move in those people. And we've seen that over our 12-year history of existing as a church. There is no pain or suffering or blaming or anger or, you know, us and them. It's all us. God has reconciled his people to him. So it's going to be perfect. But it's not just going to be perfect that God's going to dwell with us and there's no more pain or suffering. It's also that we're going to live, as I said, in paradise with God. Physical paradise. The next chapter, the final chapter of John's revelation of the throne room of God, and Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Now, I want you to picture this. Whether it's talking about an actual description of what heaven will look like, or if it's talking about an analogy to give you a picture, both of them are talking about paradise. So either way, I want you to picture this for just a moment. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood uh, the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No more war, nations are healed, plenty of food. There's gonna be rest with God in paradise. Verse three, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And then get this, I think this is the most powerful part. Forget everything else this morning. I want you to think about this moment one day. They will see his face. And every other place in scripture, if you were in the presence of God, if you saw the face of God, you were gonna fall over dead. But because of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, for those who receive, it says, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, that when you go there one day, you are literally going to get to see God face to face. Can you picture what that's gonna be like? To get to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. You did with the short time you had on this planet to usher in the light of the kingdom of God. Do you know what it goes on in verses four and five? It says, 
They will see him face to face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible uses this analogy of light coming into darkness over and over again. If we sang that song earlier to open up the windows, let the light in, there's no windows in here. You're like, what are we singing about? We're, we're talking about that the light of God drives out any darkness. I think this is important for somebody in the room. I had somebody text me, another pastor at another church, a verse about bringing light into the darkness, just randomly. He didn't know what I was preaching on. And I want to tell you that some of you have some darkness in your life right now. And when you believe and receive salvation in Christ, it's not just that when you, one day you're going to go to heaven, it's also that he can begin to drive the darkness out, that, that heaven could be at hand. That's why in, in our church, our outpost network exists to bring light into a dark world. If you're like, what is that? Well, we have a particular way of discipling people and sending them out on mission. We want everybody in our church to go through Rooted. You can still sign up for this session on Wednesday night or Monday night, but you have to do it this morning. It's your last chance. And, and then after Rooted, we want everybody to get discipled in a discipleship huddle for one year or more in a committed discipling relationship. But the long-term spiritual family of our church the decentralized approach to church, that it's not just about a worship gathering. If you look at scripture, it was community on mission is our outpost network. We have tons of them all over the city, multiple counties, and you're gonna get to see and experience many of them next week for our second ever outpost tailgate. It's gonna be a blast, don't miss it. It's gonna be different next week. We're gonna end the service a little early. And we're still going to have the children's ministry going, but out in the parking lot, we're going to have all our outposts represented. I think we might have a bounce house for the kids. We're going to have different foods from different cultures represented there. I mentioned that at the 9 a.m. and a woman came up to me and is going to make Congolese beignets now for us. Like, don't miss next weekend as we conclude this series to talk about how to bring heaven at hand. But we are meant to usher in the light of Christ into the dark world we live in, and that includes in our own life. And if there's somebody in here today that you've been living in that darkness, I want to tell you one day you're going to get to see the, the face of God. And you're going to get to celebrate how he used your life. In my life, I've been through many hard things. You guys know our story, probably nothing harder than losing a son. And I can tell you in those few moments that were very, very difficult in my life, my wife has been amazing. She has this tender heart in those moments. And I can tell you, with tear-filled eyes, we've looked into each other's eyes, and I just knew she understood what I was feeling without even uttering a word. I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to get to see the face of God, and he's going to know you like no human being has ever known you. And he's going to see the work of the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus, if you believe and receive that this morning. His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. It doesn't matter how good you are. Nobody will get into heaven without the love of Christ redeeming them. In fact, I believe as we close out our time that in our culture today, theologically speaking, heaven is often under attack in two ways. Number one, heaven is under attack and the idea that heaven can just wait. It's not that great, so heaven can wait. Actually, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 84.10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I want you to picture your best a thousand days, right, that you could possibly imagine. Like Colts won the Super Bowl and you were sitting on the 50-yard line. 
one of those days, right? Maybe the birth of a child. I don't know what it is in your day that is like the best day, but a thousand days of your best days, it doesn't compare to one day in the courts of God, scripture says. That's how it's incredible it's gonna be. Full senses, actual tangible experiences, real relationships with God, people, and creation itself. There's, you can't even fathom or understand it because we've never been in anything perfect in our entire lives. And so we think, well, it's not that great, so I'm just gonna kind of go by in my life, try and survive, have good jobs, take some nice vacations, you know, be able to do something with my life, and hopefully when I die, I was, there was more good than it outweighed the bad. Don't live that way, please. If you're atheist or agnostic in the room, I am begging you. I'm begging you to realize how real heaven is going to be. And God is not an angry God in the sky looking down, wanting to smite you. He's waiting until the last person received Christ, Scripture tells us, in his compassion. He wants everyone to come home. He used the analogy of a father running indignantly to wrap his loving arms around him. You're going to get to see him face to face. He's going to understand every experience you've ever been through. He's going to say, it's okay. You're home now. Heaven can't wait. We should live with eager expectation of what's to come. And the other way that I believe that heaven is under attack is that most people are going to go there. That's not what the Bible says. And you know, I made Nate do the hard stuff last week, but, but this moment is very real. If we're being honest, Scripture says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. You can see it in our culture around us to live for selfish desires. To follow Christ means that I have died and no longer live. The life I live is through faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. That as we have people get baptized here in a moment, it's a representation that I've died with Christ and I've risen again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You now get to usher in the light into the dark world. You get to usher in the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it requires us in humility to repent of our sin and turn to the perfect creator and say, I accept your free gift and I surrender my life to you. Many enter through the gate of destruction, but the second half of this, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Our hope this morning is each of us in this room right now and those attending online, we now have no excuse. We're aware of the narrow gate, and the good news is God welcomes you in but he's not gonna force it on you. You're gonna have to choose to surrender your life to him. And so I'm gonna wanna give you that simple opportunity. And I wonder if in the room right now, there are some people maybe who've been around Christianity or even consider themselves vaguely a Christian for decades. You never had that moment where you crossed the line of faith, the old was gone, the new was come, and you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. I believe today is that day. Will you pray with me? God, I pray right now in the room, and we're not gonna force anything. This is just super simple, God. We taught your scripture. That's all we did. And we believe that you're here with us right now. And heaven is the most real thing we have to look forward to. And you want all of us to come there and to see you face to face, to have that kind of relationship. So if you're here in the room and you'd like to recommit your life to Christ or you'd like to surrender your life to Christ for the first time, I'm gonna invite you just with every eye closed and every head bowed, just an act of submission to the Lord to raise your hand here on the count of three. Really simple. I'm not going to have you do anything. Don't worry about that. But I am going to ask you to raise your hand and say, I want a new life 
in Christ. If that's you, raise your hand on three. Ready? One, Jesus loves you. Two, he welcomes you home. And three, he can't wait to have you worship him and with him for all of eternity. I see the young woman down here to my right. Pause for just a moment in case I missed anybody in the back. See the, the young man right here as well. Thank you for that. The couple people over there. Wow. I, and I'm not going to force anything. See the person in the back there. Thank you. Help me out if I missed any. I see you, young man. Be sure and talk to your parents, okay? Okay, you can put those down. I, God, I, I don't know. There's probably five to seven people there that raised their hands, and you know what's going on in their life spiritually. We don't emotionally manufacture things here, God. We acknowledge your presence of your spirit right now that you have been speaking to these people, making it real how heaven is going to be and why this life matters to live in submission to you, to bring light into the dark world so others will join us there, God. And so right now, if that's you, if you raise your hand, pray this with me. Uh, This morning, God, I just simply admit that I'm not perfect. I do this beautiful act. I repent of my sin and wrongdoing. I receive your free gift of salvation through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And on this day, I surrender everything in my life to you as Lord. Use me, Lord Jesus. We worship you and we thank you and we welcome you with open arms. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen.